Hey everyone, welcome back to the It's a Mind Game podcast. My name is Jade. I'm a mindset coach and personal trainer specializing in women's specific training protocols and AJ and ED recovery. And today I'm so excited to be welcoming back the wonderful Jacqueline Byrne, who is a psychotherapist specializing in eating disorder recovery and body image. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me back, Jade. It's it's always such a pleasure to get to come and join you and your listeners. And I'm really excited to continue our conversation today. I'm, I'm overjoyed to be having this conversation with you and especially the topic that we've chosen for our sort of our wrap up for the year when it comes to our chats together. Um, and I must apologize for that intro because I remember with Kasima, everyone talking about pregnancy brain and it never happened. I was like, no, I'm fine. And this time around, I lose my words. I get stuck. Things disappear. My brain turns to, I'm going to say, real. butterflies. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry brain is, to anyone it's so real. <laughs> if you can hear me glitching, um, it's completely unintentional. Uh, I'll do the best that I can. <laughs> We're working with a completely different array of, of hormones and uh, neurostructures. So it's uh, it's amazing. It's wild. It's, uh, it's, it's so, so wild. Um, but let's dive into our topic today. And that is the behaviors that we engage in as a result of body image. So I guess to add some context to it is perhaps when we started on a weight loss journey or a, or a fitness journey, it could have been a well-intentioned body image where it's like, I just want to tone up a little bit, or I just want to look like a strong person. And then at some point in time, it morphs into if I don't go for the run, my legs will get fat. If I don't go and train for two hours, I'm not going to look muscly anymore. And it goes from this really kind of light and glowy, I'm improving myself to a panic stricken, uh, I'm in shackles. I'm in a noose almost. When we start to, I guess, recognize that our relationship with, with exercise has transitioned from something joyful and encouraging into something that's now defying perhaps our joy or even how we live our life. How can we begin to move away from using our body image as the main driver for exercise versus perhaps exercising because we, we feel good, it brings out those endorphins, or perhaps it's still body image linked, but it's not locked into it. Yes, and it's it's so tricky because we are in a society that largely has quite a disordered relationship with body image so that even if someone was very wholeheartedly motivated to focus on their health or fitness, as you say, and maybe didn't even overly consider the aesthetic component of that, it's often very quickly pointed out to us, oh, you're looking so great, oh, you've lost weight, you've uh, got more definition. Those That will be the feedback we hear. And as social beings, we tend to like approval. We tend to feel good when our value is being bolstered by those around us. And so that that concept is certainly introduced to us if it isn't inherently our focus to begin with. And it's a, it's a very common story that I hear where initially the body changes someone sees are very exciting. So if they are feeling stronger or they do see differences in how they look that they find positive, 
but that then becomes the new bar of what's minimally acceptable. So what used to be, this is maybe the best I feel I've looked in a long time, becomes um, that's the least of what's acceptable now on a continuum of an ever-moving goalpost. And that can be people that tend to struggle more with body image and assorted eating tend to have more perfectionistic personality traits. And that's where those qualities can really entwine because the person who maybe even incidentally loses weight and doesn't get that attachment to, or maybe I need to lose more, or maybe now if I am feeling more bloated one day or my weight's fluctuated above that original loss, that's that's not something that is uh, going to panic them or concern them too much. Whereas for person A, that now feels incredibly threatening to move out of the new uh, dimension or the new category that they've seen themselves in. The, the intention we have for why we are exercising is incredibly important because it's a good example of where identical behavior could be about such different things. And the same is true with eating. Someone eating a salad could be intuitive eating. That could be someone really listening to their body. That could be really supportive and heart-led for them. And the next person doing it could be restrictive. It could be um, punitive. It could be a really joy-limiting choice. Similarly with exercise, that it it's harder to gauge it, although there are certainly criteria that are known to be the warning signs for unhelpfully using exercise for um, to try to manage our mental health symptoms. But most of the time, somewhat one person doing a yoga class could be exactly what their body feels honored by. And the next person doing it is because they're trying to create a, an achievement out of that, that will then they are hoping make them feel better about their body. So if we can be clear about what is motivating us and be really honest, like self-compassionate and honest with ourselves about what that motivation is, because it's very easy to deceive ourselves around that as well, that would be an important starting point um, to get clear on what it is we're moving from and then what is being affirmed. Because if we act on, like every time we act on, exercising from a place of that feeling loving for our body or that feeling like a celebration of our range of movement or it's just going to help us get a better night's sleep that night that story grows that part of us grows that relationship with exercise grows and vice versa every time it's like well you ate too much last night so you get yourself to the gym this morning you work that off we're being stricter today. we're not doing that again every time that schema steps in it is getting stronger and that becomes more the go-to and those thoughts become more involuntary. When we're looking at how these thoughts and behaviours evolve, what do you think it is that separates or perhaps makes it that women can have such different experience with exercise? So as you're explaining that and you explained it so beautifully, thank you, um, something that stood out to me was just the the intention behind different people doing exercise and perhaps a challenge or a weight loss goal and the two different scenarios where perhaps someone does lose the weight and as you said that is the new standard I can never deviate from this again versus the other person who lost the weight 
feels great about it. And then, I don't know, Christmas happens, change of job, change of career, and perhaps their body changes a bit, whether it be back to how they were, whether it be just somewhere in the middle. But it seems okay. You know, it's just, well, when I was doing the challenge, of course I look like this because I made it my number one priority. And now it's not my number one priority. Perhaps my work and my family is. So it's okay if my body reflects work or family. What do you think it is that makes one experience vary from the other? Mm. Do you think it is a personality type thing? It's the stories perhaps we attach to the experience um, because I I find that they can be so, so similar and then the outcomes be so very different. So it's a very important question and I think it's multifaceted. I think part of it is personality and it's our thinking styles and our tendencies how we compute things. For example, some of us have a lot of thinking styles such as globalizing or filtering or black and white thinking where we do we do see the world differently. We do find it harder to dwell in the gray between zones. We seek out comfort differently. And, and part of that um, could be mental health, could be anxiety, for example. Part of that could be our personality profile and also our sensory profile. But the other pillar I think that influences that very much is around identity and particularly around shame. So that if I, and this is very common for women, that maybe I'll I'll give an example that's, again, quite a common story that I hear. Maybe someone in their childhood or teenhood felt uncomfortably uncomfortable in their body at some at some point maybe they were made fun of for being bigger than the other kids maybe there was a swimming carnival and someone poked them in the tummy and called them fad or when they're a teenager they went through puberty earlier and and they were curvier than their friends and that was noticed and that was really uncomfortable for them because they didn't want to be sexualized or exposed at that age yet and so there's a sense of the body becoming the problem and also society and media builds that up very strongly for us as a as an easy solve if you're not feeling great lose weight you could buy this supplement you could buy this beauty treatment you could use this product to make yourself look better and then when you look better you feel better because look at all these smiling models and their commercials they all seem to be selling happiness and selling um a, a better life than what we might be experiencing as the viewer so we start to project the fault of what we're feeling onto our body. And you and I have done an episode on this called Mm -hmm. somatization. That process is called somatization. And as women, when we feel shame, which is the feeling that there is something inherently wrong with us, not good enough in us, that, um, that, that we are bad in some way. And again, that could be, picked up very easily, very simply, um, all through more significant trauma. When we experience weight loss, it can feel, so for person A that you mentioned who has a bit of a, a health kick, loses weight, feels fitter, they're sleeping better, they've got more m- mobility in their body, they feel great, but then life takes over, they're traveling, whatever, that falls away they look different and it's much of a muchness to them. They're not, they're not phased by it. They've 
being able to experience the objective benefits of those that those body changes that it does feel good to have more flexibility it does feel good to have more strength to sleep better but there's been no additional qualities superimposed into the meaning of that version of themselves they still feel like you know Bob from IT that, that he's just a bit fitter right now and and then three months later is not it doesn't change his self-concept whereas the person who has shame and brings that somatization experience into their weight loss, which of course they probably have no idea is going on for themselves. Mm-hmm. When they lose weight, the elation that they experience is probably like hundreds and hundreds of times stronger than what Bob felt. There mm-hmm. is a sense of euphoria. There is a sense of a lot of people talk to me about this feeling of almost like I've done it. I've, I've like, I'm one of them now. Like I finally, I've realized the dreams of my childhood self, of my teenage self, of my my past selves that felt unseen or misunderstood or missed out. I've I've cracked the code into becoming a more valued member in our society. Um, there's this sense because of the because of the stigma in our society around bodies that the more we meet the criteria of what's socially dominantly considered beautiful, the more power we we have, and that's hard to argue against. So the the sense of now I have access, maybe like a different category of people might want to date me, a different category of people might want to hire me, that I might be more lovable, I might have the chance for all this privilege that I never had access to before and get to shed this past self that I never wanted to be, that self maybe that I hated, that I didn't want to accept. I don't have to be her anymore because I don't look like her anymore. So when I perceive that body returning, when the if weight gain comes back, if I lose muscle definition, if whatever my line in the sand is of the red flag that that past self is now becoming my present self again, that's a very threatening position to be in because it's, um, I thought I had outrun, I had escaped the, the limitation of that character and now, now she becomes me again. The, a very old school way of describing this psychologically is the shadow side of self that mm-hmm. Carl Jung had that term that this people talk about shadow work comes rooted from this framework that we we want to run away from the parts of ourselves we least like and we can least accept and anything for others that might be earning a certain amount of money it might be having a certain job title or a status in some way living in a certain area owning a certain type of car that can make them feel, well, now I'm this kind of person and I don't have to worry about being that kind of person and everything they had to deal with stays back there with them. I get this like departure into just a preferred self and I get to be this role and this part of myself that is always dangerous, whether it's through body image or otherwise, because of course we can't escape ourselves. We can't, everything we are comes with us and the power comes in integrating and accepting all that we are rather than trying to figure out how to transcend it but that's the lure uh, that's the, the promise of body image that's the lure even for, for many people's development of an eating disorder is that it's a magic potion to escape the self that you can't accept 
I felt my brain just light up like a Christmas tree as you were talking just then, especially when you described that euphoric feeling of like, I've done it. I've become this person I've always wanted to be. And I, I feel like part of the intensity when you said that and as I was listening to it is because firsthand experience I remember that feeling of like I've done it I'm here I worked so hard for it and it was worth it like it was so worth it and everything that I quote unquote needed to do to maintain it then become acceptable whether that be extreme dieting even more overtraining the bulimia binging purging um, all the rest of it and it was this very unique dynamic in my mind of whatever it takes because this identity is so worth it I will sacrifice anything I don't care because this is who I'm meant to be Mm. and when I think about that who I'm meant to be it was a surface level definition and sometimes I wonder if part of it is age-related You know, like we develop these things in our 20s because we're not really sure what the goal of our life is. So perhaps it is to be, um, excuse me, to look like, you know, back when I went through it, the girl on the Oxygen magazine or the Women's Health magazine because they look really fit and strong, they're respected, perhaps they're married, um, they've got a good career, all these things are happening. So it's like I'm not actually sure what I want, but that looks like a good choice, right? And I guess to link that into the examples that we're giving of the person who kind of gets sucked into the the training goal and then becomes entrenched in it versus the person who has the same experience and then goes, okay, I've got other things in my life. I wonder if a big part of that is the, the value systems that have been built up beforehand were so well established. So for me, um, being the gymnast that I was, when I tapped into that athlete identity again I felt at home I'm home I can breathe like this is amazing never let it go do not let it go but then I think about perhaps some of my my wonderful friends who have trained perhaps they dieted down for their wedding or they dieted down just to do it what was it in Victoria it was a massive praise like nine kilos in nine weeks or something like that you know and they did it and they had a great time but their their values were never linked to an identity of the fitspo or the one who trains more than everybody else or um, the one who always chooses salad. Their identity was entrenched in perhaps I go for drinks on a Friday, like I love happy hour on Friday or I love going out for dinner or I'm, I'm the social butterfly, right? So when they went and had their fit experience, it was fun for what it was, but it didn't suit the personality that they wanted to embody, which was the social butterfly or the, the one who's going out and about and holidaying, where perhaps those of us who get really tied into it, we have had this longing to be the athlete, to be the fitspo. And it's, I also think a big part of it is we, especially females, we don't have the education of what the look means for the biology of us. So it is a bit misleading because we go in thinking but if I look fit clearly I'm the epitome of health and then obviously females in particular no you know you can actually be a lot fitter and healthier in a body that's not shredded versus the body that is and that that can be a confusing time too Mm -hmm. um but linking that back to what you were saying do you feel like that 
perhaps could be some of the intensity that can can really grab us is perhaps growing up we were the child athlete or perhaps we looked at bodybuilders or um, people with particular physiques and we did have love hearts in our eyes like and it could have been because our parents were that way or we don't even know I don't know Terminator magazine men can do the same thing they grew up watching Arnold Schwarzenegger and went he's the man right so it's innocent it's harmless but we become it and then that euphoria hits and why would I want to let it go exactly yes that that lived experience illustration is incredibly valuable because it is that it's what we've made it mean not it's Mm. it's meaning by itself it's the meaning we've projected onto it and the the fact that we feel so so fused to that identity like that feeling this is worth anything I could do anything to hold on to this I'll do anything to get there really speaks to the innate primitive what it's providing that's so so core to our survival because it's ultimately about belonging it's about acceptance socially so if we have that feeling that this is going to protect me more than anything else it makes sense that there's then this incredible force field behind it saying don't let go of this you need you're going to need this and that is why even though objectively people that can't relate to that experience might find it confusing of why you would sacrifice so much for a certain look or for fitness or that once you understand you have an eating disorder why don't you just do the steps to recover and move forward if if you love your family and if you want to keep your job and if you like, why wouldn't you just do what you need to do to get better? What they don't understand is that the misunderstanding our brain has made is that that physique, that weight, that body, that pattern of behavior feels like more of a life raft than anything else in that person's life. And that it, even though it doesn't make sense, logically instinctually emotionally it feels life-threatening to let go of it even though for some people it's life-threatening to hold on to it and that's that's where eating disorders are classed as an egosyntonic disorder and it all gets quite complex from a psychiatric perspective because there's that fusion with identity and that's quite unusual even in mental health there's not many disorders that that have that sense of but this is saving me when it's objectively really destructive and dangerous but it's so important to understand that that's what the person in the experience is feeling and that that's what we're feeling if we're in it and why we're feeling it that it's that promise of of gold at the end of the rainbow that we never actually we we usually don't ever get that or get it for very long but we so believe in it. We've so subscribed to continue to chase it. You mentioned it in an episode a while ago, and um, I actually had a conversation with one of my beautiful ladies just before this podcast because the the comment was made to her, but why don't you just change? Like, you know what you need to do. You know the benefit you'll get from doing it. And, um, and, we, and we have had this chat before of the people who understand the finer details of an eating disorder would know that, for one, if it was that simple, we we wouldn't have so many women struggling and men. Um, but 
the the example you gave it was quite a few episodes ago was that idea that if you're you're drowning and you can't breathe you're underwater your brain goes pop your head up and breathe like just breathe it's a very innate sense of what you need to do in order to get to survival and we can end up in a position where we feel that way about exercise or eating a particular way where it's like just breathe and it's so strong and it's so intense and I just found it the most wonderful example because if you can see it from that everyone can understand what it feels like to need to take a breath we've all been held done by our brothers or sisters or cousins in the pool or accidentally been, and we need to get up and breathe we all know it and how strong it is where your brain just goes come on up 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 and I think it beautifully explains how intense those emotions are when we feel like we just have to go for the run we just have to do the workout because as you said logically we can conceptualize this isn't the best choice for me we know but it doesn't change in the moment that sensation of but if you don't I don't know how much longer you can hold on right which is where we start to feel terrified or like like death and people don't understand if they haven't experienced it or been near, near it how intense that sensation is um and that's sort of where the conversation led is the progress that's been made for this wonderful woman over the past 6 12 18 months is that you could look at it and go well we haven't just changed but the progression that's been made by chipping away like I'm going to test it out prove to myself what I fear is going to happen doesn't happen I want to test out something new I'm going to prove to myself it doesn't happen right has led to wonderful success she's done so so well but she's consistently challenging that idea of you're not going to hold on though like take the breath Mm. and it's it's exhausting Mm. and I think something that's probably quite important about this conversation we're having right now is that please don't hold yourself back that you can't succeed with this idea that you should just be able to because if anything is going to derail your opportunity for success it's believing that you should just be able to wake up and do it right and like gosh if we can find a way to make that switch happen (laughs) that would be wonderful and I hope we do one day um but for the most part the reason we feel so much resistance even though logically we can as you said conceptualize what we should be doing is because deep down in our mind it's it's so threatening it does potentially make us the outcast, the past identity. It couldn't resolve in death because, as you said earlier, we've attached these stories. But if I go back to that person, it's over. Mm-hmm. If anything changes, everyone will judge me. I'll get fat. I'll da, 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 da. And we do get very good at the stories. That's one thing I definitely witnessed firsthand and even with the women that I work with is when you start to dive into, you know, what are you what are you thinking will happen if you take this path? And they are quite extreme and they're elaborate. You know, it's not just a surface level dot point. There's stories and there's how it affects other people and scenarios and it's it's really deep. Um, have you noticed that with perhaps the women that you work with where, again, that conceptual side is, yeah, I know I should, but the threat of doing it is just so extreme and the stories are so evolved that it does take time to chip away and I guess retell the story. Precisely. And that it is eating disorders 
takes so long to evolve that people might have had their eating disorder come in quite quickly. Like an example might have been one of those challenges maybe that someone um, was particularly susceptible to and they did the nine weeks and then that triggered binging and then that triggered trying to get the body back that they originally had and it all seems to have happened quite quickly and there is a biological component to eating disorders where like a starvation response might trigger binging for example and that can happen the Minnesota men's study is a really famous study that illustrates this where the men involved in the study didn't have eating disorders from a, a psychological assessment perspective but their food behavior became very disordered because of being restricted so any most humans who are restricted people that have lived in environments where they didn't have free access to food had to ration food for many years if they end up having more access to food at another life stage tend to have like hoarding behaviors stocking behaviors um tend to overeat habitually because that is also something we have evolved to learn to do if food is is withheld. So yes, there is a biological component that might move in quite quickly. But if the eating disorder is going to stick around and be more than that, the psychological infrastructure has taken years and years and years and years to get there and has been, it's really like a novel that's being written and the eating disorder only comes in at the, in the third act. Mm. And we didn't know that we were writing a story that was going to go in that direction, but it's got so many moving parts to it. And the sociological and the psychological components in addition to the biological that that come together like this um, magic potion that, that requires all those formulations to activate. When we think about undoing that, the only safe process is to go slowly and it's it's almost like our psyche is smart enough to know not to let us do that too rapidly I've I've said I've said in the past that one thing I get this really funny feeling in my tummy if I'm working with someone who is having a recovery experience that's just too good to be true and if they're if things are moving forward in quite a linear sense and they have one good week and then a better week and then a better week and no real hurdles or interruptions to that. You might think that that would be best case scenario, but it's like this sense of dread because I know something very, something, it, it can't be that it just continues to be like that forevermore. So there's either they are either in a place of self-denial maybe that they can't see the behaviors that are still there or they don't feel safe to tell me about that or we're heading towards a big build-up and it's like that feeling before a big storm's about to hit and you can smell it in the air and you want to get all the washing inside it's like that feeling <laughs> um because to rebuild a sense of self safely is going to take that that slow undoing and rebuilding, which we need time and space to do, which is why recovery takes years and years. And it's why even when we're, we've been recovered for a long time, we still might look back 10 years, 15 years later and have new insight and have new pennies drop and tie together new links because as we ongoingly evolve, the, that part of our story 
makes increasing sense from new angles and new life experience. And that's really the only safe way to to continue moving forward. And I, I just would want to add there quickly that I I am so passionate about the concept of post-traumatic growth that it's not, I, I would hate for anyone listening to this to feel overwhelmed by what I've just said. Like it's just going to take years and years and years and years. And um, it doesn't mean that you can't have significant tangible improvement in much shorter timeframes than that, that you can start building your life on and regaining, regaining agency and and freedom from but I just mean that I think concluding that the journey has ended after six months or 12 months or 18 months limits all that there was potential to gain from um, the ongoing self-reflection and healing that's possible that might be increasingly less to do with food and even body image over the years but still really relevant to the origins of where the eating disorder came from but that could really be celebrated as something that could make you so much stronger, more insightful, more compassionate, more intelligent than any other experience you could have had. So rather than it being this sort of burden that you've got to do this extra work to get through and then get back to where you were in life, it becomes an even better way of doing life that you could have ever known was possible mm. and would never have thought to ask for it to be this way but it ends up being the richest life that was available to you yeah thank you for explaining that and especially that timeline of years and years because I'd imagine some are like what what are you telling me but to your point there's the there's that time frame where you see you know real rapid change um, and when you said the speediness of success with no no bumps in the road I refer to it almost like whiplash because you've got so much momentum and then you get the whip and you're like oh that that hurts and now i don't know if I want to keep going anymore. I need a rest. Mm -hmm. And you can see that with, with food behaviors or exercise or, and then perhaps the story can come and say, this just isn't meant for me. I was doing really good until I wasn't um, where perhaps just that slow, steady progress of proving to yourself the outcomes aren't actually what you perceive them to be might take longer, but it's a long-term effect that stays with you. And I guess that sort of patience is a virtue is, is a good one for this context because if you can just sort of chip away at it you evolve in a way that is safe so that you can hold on versus this almost like mm, like ignorantly getting through it almost it's like you've got your blinkers on you're doing all the things but perhaps you're not actually feeling anything or you're not processing you're kind of oh, I guess perhaps it is loss of words but it's almost like you're in a state of shock while mm. doing everything mm. so that you're you're physically doing it but your brain's tapped out so you think you're doing really well and then all of a sudden you actually conceptualize it and go oh wow over the past week I've done this 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 and this and then we have that whiplash effect or that little implosion um have you, have you ever noticed that with clients perhaps mm -hmm. where it's um because I know mm. it has come up with a couple of my ladies where They've, they've tried HA recovery and they might have actually gotten their period back and then all of a sudden they lose it again because it's it's almost, I don't know, the conversations we have is that's how they describe it. It's like I, I did all the things tick box wise, but my brain wasn't with me. I just, I ate the food, I did the rest. And then by the time my mind caught up, I couldn't handle it. And then they revert back to what feels safe. Mm. Um, 
Is is there a term? Is there something that our mind does when we we are physically doing these things, but mentally tap out? Dissociation, uh, and it can be mild. Like we can be very we can be very functioning uh, functional while we're dissociating, but that's often what will happen in um, reverse as well. That when someone, say for example, is binging that behavior might be so unbearable if we were present for it so distressing if if you've if it's meant to you or we've just described it meaning being possible to mean to somebody and then you're witnessing yourself seemingly destroy that identity or destroy that progress and that is so unpleasant and so physically unpleasant and uncomfortable too that we just get up and out of there and then sort of come back maybe into our body a few hours later after it sort of happened and have to deal with it um, to some degree then. But I think what you've said is so important because it's that it can be a very reactive self that then wants to get back on track or is then that that part of someone with an eating disorder that's also quite common for people that tend to get eating disorders of being very high achieving and like the good girl and the good student and wanting to impress their coach and wanting to impress the nutritionist and I'll do what you told me to do. And I did all my homework, Jade, and that, that can show up as well without it actually being embodied or integrated, which also doesn't usually, um, either it doesn't last or it doesn't, um, doesn't give you the fullness of what otherwise could be available. It doesn't have that, the nectar in it of what, what a wholehearted recovery can really offer and the value of that feeling of it feeling quite immunized against relapse can feel like they're just there wouldn't be an in point for the eating disorder to access because you are so self-possessed the the access point comes when we're not home and so the eating disorder can just come in and run the show or mm-hmm. perfectionism you know, in another outfit can come in and run the show. The, the analogy that came to mind when you were describing that, and it's a bit of a cliche, but it's that, that idea of building a home and the foundations of a home, like you can whip together like a fibro project home, maybe over a weekend with a couple of friends, like you can get the job done, you can have somewhere to sleep, but does it, does it really hold you? Does it keep you warm in winter? Are the foundations strong? Do your children have somewhere to, does the next generation get to inherit something of value? There's, it's so important um, and we don't want to also take a wrecking ball to our home if we still have to live there while while this is happening, which we do if it's our own psychology, we have to live there while these changes are happening and while our recovery is occurring. So burning it to the ground is not a smart thing to do. That's why it has to be piecemeal. It's like you renovate the kitchen where you kind of, live in the back of the house and then you do the front of the house where you kind of and it's noisy and it's not ideal but that's much safer than um knocking the whole thing down and then you realize you've going no you've got nowhere to sleep that night and it's pouring with rain like that's our brains won't let us do that and that's why that's where sometimes resistance can be such an intelligent response to things as well because resistance is that innate knowing of that much room isn't available to us right now and you're going to have to work within a smaller margin because what you're asking to come into are, are parameters that we need just to function at the moment. I love that analogy so, so much. Thank you for sharing. And I've just looked down at the time and it's 
time to wrap things up, but I have so many ideas for a future podcast based on some of the topics that have come up today. Um, especially that sort of like being able to seek refuge in our mind while moving forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like that's kind of the secret source of it, isn't it? It's like still having sanctuary, but still having the curiosity or the courage to explore. Mm. Um, and it, knowing that that can take time and that's it's okay if anything it's encouraged. It's mm. sort of more the continual momentum forward versus a short time frame and yeah that idea what you said before of even recovery taking years is that sometimes you well often we don't know what we don't know Mm. so when we think we're at our best we'll try something new again accidentally just because you're relaxed and more layers of your thoughts have dropped down and you go oh wow I just experienced that oh I didn't even know that was a thing that feels good I'll do it again but there's so many elements that perhaps we don't know could be better until we just keep leaning in so suddenly that idea that things can take years goes from being a bit perhaps intimidating to exciting because it's like, oh, well, what can be unlocked if I just keep exploring, if I keep being curious? And I love it to, I would love for it to birth a commitment and passion for self-inquiry that's lifelong. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a point where whether it's 10 years, 15 years, 20 years after you begin a process like recovery that you then dust your hands off and go, well, that's it. That's 21 <laughs> years and I'm done. That's um, It becomes, again, maybe no longer very often about conversations about food, but that growth is always available to us and to be, to be desiring that is one of the most protective factors we could have going forward as well. Looking, and it, I often come across, um, people in the earlier stages of their experience, they're very understandably looking to just like get back to business, like stop this thing interrupting my life so I can go back to what I want to do. Um, But again, then it will keep returning. It will keep knocking on our door until we maybe open up to wider, uh, more significant renovations. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jacqueline, you make my heart sing. Thank you so much (laughs) for all the conversation today. I absolutely love all the all the different angles that we take when it comes to talking about eating disorder recovery and identity and and how our even just our personality traits can can shape each experience um as always i will link your details in the show notes if anyone would like to reach out to you obviously jacqueline would be an absolute miracle worker in your experience with ed recovery um but once again thank you so much for taking the time to come on i'm going to miss you so very much while i have some time off and i i can't wait to do some more in the future wishing you the very best jade sending you so much love for the season of your life i'm going to miss you as well and i can't back, wait to return back to the space with you thanks so much Jacqueline, and thanks ladies for listening we'll see you in the next one